Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. Missouri Governor Mike Parson surprised both parties when he vetoed scores of projects within the 2024 budget. And now members of both parties are wondering whether they'll override the chief executive's objections in September. On the latest episode of Politically Speaking, State Representative Ashley Ani talks about reaction to the governor's vetoes and takes a look ahead to the 2024 session. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. My promise to St. Louis was that I would do the absolute most for each and every person, starting with those who have the very least. What I wanted to do was look and see what other states are doing. We have to be willing to change those laws that they are balanced and they affect everybody equally. As somebody that grew up in the St. Louis area, North St. Louis County, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. We gotta find long-term solutions to make government better, but also to be able to provide services to people. I don't wanna leave that federal money that we've been leaving all these years on the table. We need to be spending this money to take care of Missourians. I thought we accomplished a lot this year, but a lot more needs to be done. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, State House and Politics reporter, Sarah Kellogg. Joining me in studio in St. Louis, I'm in St. Louis this time, is my co-host, St. Louis Public Radio's political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. And our guest today joining us via Zoom, she represents the 14th district in the Missouri House, which includes the Kansas City Northland. Ashley Ani. Thank you so much for joining us again on the show, Representative. Before we get started, I'd love if you reminded our listeners about your district, where it covers and who you represent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so glad to be on again. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, The 14th district is in Platte County. Um, We are uh, not the southernmost or the northernmost part of Platte. We are sort of in the middle and on the east edge. We share um, a line with Clay County. So um, it's a very 50-50 district up here um, and it flipped blue in 2018. So uh, we're still holding strong up here. So we have a lot to talk about. I just want to get right into it, which is Let's start with the kind of most recent news coming out of the legislature, which is uh, the vetoes by Governor Mike Parson on the budget. Uh, so what was your reaction to Governor Parson vetoing nearly $555 million worth of projects from the budget? You know, uh, we have a multi-billion dollar surplus. It's a one-time opportunity to spend um, spend state dollars. And I was disappointed to see a lot of the, the vetoes that came down. Um, from the governor, because uh, I I think that especially around public safety, mental health, um, even our National Guard, I think we have um, some seriously missed opportunities um, to invest in Missourians. You know, that decision brought about some pretty harsh reactions from Republicans, including Senator Nick Schroer. Here is the St. Charles County Republican talking about Parsons veto projects to bolster public safety and drinking water quality in this county. Our citizens were betrayed. We, uh, We were all very happy to see that the legislature, the House and the Senate, put this into the budget. We, we supported this all the way to the governor's desk and not a, not a single email, text message, phone call, letter, carrier pigeon, or one of those owls from Harry Potter. None of that came our way, whether it was myself, Senator Eigel, Senator Fitzwater, or any of the House members that have worked the entire year, and some of them several years on these items. Uh, and, you know, there was no explanation whatsoever as to why these were line item vetoed. So pretty strong words. Schroer says he was surprised by Parsons' move. Were you also taken off guard? 
I was a little bit. Um, and there are, you know, there are even uh, light item vetoes that uh, the senator is referencing that I was surprised to have seen um, vetoed. A lot of public safety dollars um, that you would think, um, you know, a, a pro-police, pro-public safety governor would um, have an interest in keeping in, uh, but they were slashed. You know, these vetoes aren't quite set in stone just yet. What do you think the chances are that the legislature may successfully overturn some of these vetoes during the veto session in September? I think that's a really great question. And honestly, I don't know yet because what I've heard, you know, I keep hearing rumblings um, from folks who are unhappy on both sides of the aisle with these vetoes. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see if, uh, you know, over the next month or so, um, there gains a consensus um, across the aisle about what which um, items um, we'd like to keep in um, generally. And if there's a consensus around each of those, you know, individually, of course, um, that's the challenge, right? With with these uh, vetoes, you know, um, it may be really important to one legislator, um, but less important to others. And so uh, we'll have to find that consensus where it where it exists. And I do think that there may be an opportunity this September. There's also, you know, it's been kind of Senate tradition in the years that, you know, obviously budget bills start in the House and anyone can kind of bring that up. But in the Senate, it's been tradition that the sponsor of the bill is one to bring it up. There's been some kerfuffles that I personally have witnessed the last couple of years about that. that, that that's one way of putting <laughs> I'm it. I'm being very kind about that. So very like kerfuffle disagreements about that. And and that was also because budget chair was uh, Senator Dan Hegeman. Well, now we have a new appropriations chair with Senator Lincoln Huff. So do you think kind of that change in leadership also brings kind of a possibility of, of mixing things up? Yes, I do, because I think that the uh, the Senate and the House are um, often pretty diametrically opposed when it comes to hashing out the uh, intricacies of the budget. Um, you know, the budget we send over to the Senate doesn't look anything like the budget that gets sent back to us. Um, so I do think that that makes it interesting, because I think what what we see is um, we have a budget, an appropriations chair in the Senate, um, who has a different opinion than the budget chair in the House, who has a different opinion than the governor. And then, of course, you have all of the elected officials, all of the legislators on bo in both chambers who are going to weigh in um, on some level as well. So just a lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts, and uh, a lot of priorities. Okay, so when I ask this question, I have to disclose to listeners that this is a piece of legislation that will affect me when I'm 65 because I am a vested pensioner in the U.M. system. One of the things that Parson mentioned was how legislation that passed near the end of session that would have removed taxes on Social Security and state pensions, it was going to re re reduce state revenue, and he had to ac account for that. Do you think that that's a justifiable reason to veto a lot of these projects? I don't. Um, you know, I think that one of the things that, um, you know, I— like I said, we had a, a one-time surplus, um, and I think that our, as a legislature, we uh, took that opportunity um, and uh, spent that money, or, or tried to spend that money um, in ways that we believed would best um, benefit Missourians. And so for, um, you know, one of those ways is to help our seniors. Um, you know, we know and we're seeing it across um, a lot of our communities in Missouri where property taxes are, are being raised and it's just getting more and more difficult for seniors to live on, on fixed incomes um, with inflation rising, all of those things. And, you know, and when the legislature tries to do that, hearing hearing from the governor that that is, um, you know, uh, not an option when we have so much money, um, you know, in, in the coffer, it, it's disappointing. You are an excellent segueer 
first of all, because my my next question was going to be about the main thing that was in that bill, which is it's like a little bit complicated to explain, but it basically authorizes counties through either an ordinance or a referendum to freeze property taxes for seniors. And my understanding is some counties on the western side of the state may end up opting into that program. Do you think that that was a good thing for the legislature to pass? Yeah. So I have mixed feelings on this one. Um, I I think that a lot of times in the legislature, we have to sort of, um, when we talk about compromise, a lot of times we take the good with the bad. Um, The reason I support this legislation is because our seniors need relief. Um, One of the aspects of the legislation that I find challenging is that there's not a, um, there's not a way to, uh, to, only include folks who need it, right? There's not a, a needs assessment included. So it doesn't matter what your wealth level is, um, you could be, you could qualify for this. So folks who maybe don't need the relief as much as others um, are going to be getting it, which, um, you know, I, I think however you feel about property taxes, um, you know, one of the things that we say up here in the Northland, and um, we said this at our, uh, Jamie Johnson and I said this at our town hall last week is, you know, the way we look at it is paying taxes is the price you pay for living in a civilized society. <laughs> and, um, you know, our our community does, um, you know, here in Platt, I can speak to that specifically, is we, we do everything we can to make sure that we're supporting our seniors and our schools um, and all of our community uh, endeavors through our property taxes. Um, and and making sure that we're, we're paying into the system is really important. But at the same time, like I said, our seniors need relief. Um, and so, uh, I would like to see that happen here in in Platte County, Um, but I'd also like to see us um, address the challenges that we have in our tax code top to bottom. Uh, We can't just come in with these Band-Aid fixes for folks one at a time. We need to look at our tax code um, across the state, across our municipalities, and make sure that folks are paying their fair share um, and uh, we're also able to afford um, the things that our community needs to provide for folks, like good schools. So the St. Louis County Council actually rejected opting in to the senior property tax freeze earlier this week. And Councilwoman Lisa Clancy of Maplewood cited exactly what you just talked about, how there is no means test that everybody could be eligible for this, even if they own a $10 million mansion. Here is Councilwoman Clancy elaborating on that I also am a taxpayer and I am the only one sitting up here tonight. Now, if Councilwoman Dunaway was here, she would also be able to say this, but she's she's virtual, that has a student in, in our K-12 public school system. And as a parent of a soon-to-be first grader, I am deeply concerned about underfunding of public education in our state. This bill is anti-public education. And as we heard tonight at our hearing, it's also anti-public safety. It has huge ramifications for our fire districts and firefighters. So one of the things that other people on the council suggested is that the legislature could potentially change the program and maybe add a means test or make it more restrictive. But is that really a realistic possibility next year, given that I don't know, maybe some of your colleagues don't want a means test with this program. Yeah, we actually, I mean, that was one of our arguments when this bill was being um, debated in the House this year. It's one of our arguments on on um, the Democratic side is that we would, would like to see a, a means test. We tried to get that included. 
Um, and so unfortunately, no, we weren't able to pass it with that means testing. And um, I don't believe that the supermajority Republican legislature um, has any interest in adjusting it. So I want to move on to the 2024 session. You know, what do you think could happen next year? I know that, you know, Crystal Quaid, uh, House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid said, you know, a lot of dysfunction this year. That wasn't during an election year. Well, 2024 is an election year. Do you think that this election, you know, could get the way of serious policymaking? Absolutely, it will. Um, I have no doubt in my mind that it will get in the way of policymaking. Uh it is an election year, but on top of that, it's a presidential election year where our um, the speaker is running for lieutenant governor. Our uh, minority leader is running for governor. Right. We have we have folks who are running um, in three, four way Senate primaries against one another on the right side of the aisle. Um, and it's just going to be it's going to be wild. It really will. Um, you know, everyone's going to try to out conservative one another. Um, for their primaries. And um, I think that that is going to cause a lot of uh, social issues to rise to the top of the conversation um, and not talk about the serious policy um, and the serious issues that will actually help Missourians. As far as bills that might get brought again, uh, the one bill Parson vetoed that wasn't budget related was a wide ranging policy public safety bill on criminal law it included increased compensation to people whose convictions were overturned. Parson said that the state like Parson basically mentioned that provision in his veto and said that the state shouldn't be responsible for the malfeasance of a local prosecutor. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I thought that that was a really interesting reasoning um, to veto that uh, provision uh, or that bill for that provision, because um, at the end of the day, you know, these prosecutors are are prosecuting um, because of a state law that was broken. Um, they also, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, our, our prosecutors um, are all sort of rowing in the same direction, right? Um, they're doing the work for the state, for their communities. And so for the state to say, oh, that's not our problem, um, I think that's incredibly disingenuous. You know, that legislation itself, you know, being in that committee hearing, there were lots of just nods and it seems like a lot of sympathy from both Republicans and Democrats on this. So it's definitely a bipartisan issue. Do you think that there's a way where maybe that could get reworded next year or something that modified that would basically get Parson's signature? Or do you think maybe y'all will just be waiting until the next governor? Honestly, um, I'm I'm not sure. I would love to see us go back and try to work with the governor's office um, and, and make this language um, palatable because uh, there are folks who who could genuinely benefit from this right now. Uh, and, uh, you know, Missouri owes it to them to get this done. The bill also included what's known as Blair's Law, which would criminalize celebratory gunfire. Do you think that could at least reach the finish line next year? Or is it going to get swept into another omnibus bill? Wow. I I would love to see it. Um, you know, Representative uh, Mark Sharp and before him um, and currently, uh, but Representative and now Senator Razor, um, they've been working on this and a ton of other legislators have been working on this for years. Um, you know, Blair's family comes down to the Capitol every single year to testify and to share their story and their pain uh, with lawmakers. And it is an absolute shame that we still have not gotten this done for them. Um, it's so simple to me. Um, 
it's such a no brainer to me. And uh, I, I guess I just um, I'm I'm so very disappointed um, in this veto because of that. And I genuinely hope that it gets across the finish line for good next year. You know, for our listeners who might not be familiar with that, can you give kind of the circumstances of that and why there is this push for this law? Of course, of course. So Blair um, was killed by a celebratory gunfire. Um, and I'm not going to get the years correct, um, but it was several years ago. Um, she was a young girl um, and she was killed by celebratory gunfire because when you shoot a gun up in the air for whatever reason, guess what? That bullet has to come down. And um, I, I think that it is it is really too bad that uh, that is not criminalized yet in Missouri. Um, but I think that it also speaks to our pretty lax gun laws in Missouri as well, that, that we still struggle to get something like this across the finish line. So you mentioned that you're in a pretty swing area of Platte County, and this is a more basic question, but I'm genuinely interested to hear the answer. When you go door to door and talk with people and the issue of guns comes up, like what are people saying to you? I get a lot of mixed uh, <laughs> mixed concerns about guns in my district, as you can imagine, being in the 50-50 district. Um, but I think that that really just speaks to the nuance of the issue because I do represent a very moderate district. Um, that means a lot of the folks who vote for me are either center left or center right, but don't don't identify with the, an extreme of either party. Um, and so, you know, one of the one of the challenges of being in a legislature and being um, in a partisan um, position is that these issues, um, you know, it's it's kind of like bad to talk about the nuance of the issue, right? It's, it's bad to dive into the, the nuances and the challenges and um, of such a big issue like gun control. And what I tell people at doors and what I hear from people is that I am a gun owner. I am also a Moms Demand Action member. Those two things can live in harmony together. And I explain to folks that you know, yes, I, I'm um, I'm comfortable with firearms. I understand, you know, how to safely store a firearm. Um, I also don't want to have anxiety over sending my stepkid to school every day, right? I don't want my heart to feel like it's ripped out of my chest every time I get an alert about another school shooting um, or mass shooting incident in our country. Um, you know, it, it was in our own backyard just last year, we had a school shooting in Missouri and that should hit home to folks. And it does hit home to folks. I have parents in, in Platte County who beg me to do something to keep their kids safe. And then I have people begging me to not touch gun laws because they want their second amendment uh, rights preserved. Um, and what I say to both of those people um, is, I, I think that we can do that. We can protect your rights. We can also keep people safe, but we have to be reasonable about it. And most folks agree with that stance. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio. And we're back on Politically Speaking. Our guest in this episode is Democratic Representative Ashley Ani, who represents the 14th District of, of the Missouri House of Representatives, which includes the Kansas City Northland, among other areas. I want to get back into talking about ballot measures, which that was a topic that was pretty much forefront and center. Many Republicans said that was their number one priority going into the session, and it didn't get done. Do you think that lawmakers will again try to pass a measure making it more difficult to amend Missouri's constitution in the upcoming session? 
I do think that they will come back um, and try it again. I do think a lot of steam has been taken out of um, their push uh, for initiative petition reform um, because I, I really think that Speaker Plocker gave away the game um, on the last day of session when he essentially said that if the Senate refused to pass the bill, they would essentially be responsible for legalizing abortion in Missouri because um, the true effort behind initiative petition reform at the end of the day was to prevent a ballot initiative around abortion. Well, they failed to do that in, in the timeline that they needed. Um, and so I'm not sure how passionately um, they'll be going after this again next year. Um, but I do think it'll be um, something that, that folks are still talking about, unfortunately. You know, there was an effort to do this in Arkansas that failed. Uh, there's a vote coming up soon in Ohio on raising the threshold to 60 percent to amend the Constitution. If that fails, do you think Missouri Republicans just may abandon that effort because they're just kind of seeing the writing on the wall in other states? Man, I would love to say that, yeah, that would dissuade them from trying it further here in Missouri. But um, if history tells me anything, it's that uh, that doesn't really matter. Um, you know, I think that there are there are people who who voted for the the bill this year who behind closed doors will admit that they don't believe that this will um, pass on the ballot, because even if this does pass the legislature, it still has to go to a vote of the people. And I'm sorry, but Missouri voters do not want their voices taken away. Uh, they just don't. And they'll see it for what it is. Um, it's 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 removing um, access to democracy for voters uh, and it's taken us a step backwards in Missouri. So hopefully, um, hopefully they'll see it go down in flames in uh, Ohio and the renewed effort will be pretty weak here, but we'll see. Speaking of ballot measures, there is a widespread assumption that proponents of abortion rights will try to put something on the ballot to overturn the state's ban of procedure, as you've mentioned already. But we don't know what that proposal will actually do yet. If you were to legalize abor abortion in Missouri, how would you do that? And would there be a, a limit that would get broad support among voters? Yeah, so, you know, that's, that's a tough question. What I would say is... Yes, of course, I want I want women in this state to have access to reproductive care. Um, I, I think that when we talk about the issue of abortion, um, we talk about it like it isn't just a, a medical procedure. Um, you know, I'm not a proponent of abortion any more than I'm a proponent of open heart surgery. Um, I just think that they're both medically necessary in certain um, situations, and I'm certainly not the expert to be weighing in on that. So uh you know I, what i what i would like to see is language that resonates with missourians um and that may include limits that may include something that looked more like uh row um that may include which uh the limit is viability of course there um but yeah i'd like to see something that resonates with missourians by and large because missourians by and large do support access to care. Uh, the polling shows that. And so um, we just need to make sure that we get the language right and that we uh, make sure that folks have access um, to the best possible care. And we stopped, um, you know, we stopped this trend of demonizing providers and scaring them away from providing care in our state. We're seeing um, you know, uh, labor and delivery centers across the state, specifically in our, our rural areas, closing right now. Um, and that's just absolutely devastating. Um, and and we've got to we've got to do something. Um, so 
whatever that looks like, whatever the, the ballot initiative language ends up being, I'm excited to see it and I'm excited to um, start collecting some signatures and, and getting this on the ballot. Well, before you can do that, assuming that this is the, this is the vehicle to end up legalizing abortion, because there could be another group that presents something else. Mm-hmm. The there has been a group that has submitted a number of petitions, and that has been kind of in limbo because of this fight between Auditor Fitzpatrick and Attorney General Bailey over the authority of of approving a fiscal note. And if it if you want to get even more down this legal rabbit hole, the proponents of this are going to have to sue Secretary of State Ashcroft because they don't like the ballot language. They've basically. already indicated that they have seen kind of previews of that and they don't like it. So that's another lawsuit that they're going so to, have to go through. So my question is, like, yes, there is time to collect the signatures, but I think that the proponents of this have pointed out that they've lost three or four months of being able to collect signatures and they haven't been able to say which one they're going to put forward because they're in legal limbo. Do you think that there will be enough time to get something on the ballot um, by next year? I do. Um, I'm, I'm very optimistic about it because the uh, there's so much passion behind it. Um, there are so many people who understand how desperately uh, we need this in Missouri and how successful um, these initiatives have been in other states like Kansas. Um, and, and, you know, we, we've seen the blueprint there and we know we can get it done here. So, um, yeah, I think there's enough um, passion behind it that, that folks are really working hard. But, um, man, I, you know, I got to give Republicans credit. They're certainly putting up every roadblock they can find. Yeah. Are there concerns that this stalemate between the auditor and the attorney general is kind of going to set a precedent when it comes to uh, ballot initiatives that maybe the people who have been elected to those offices don't like? Uh, I'm curious kind of your thoughts of like the reverberations of this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I think that it will set a precedent. And I think that that's really scary. And I think it's something that Missourians should be paying attention to because, um, you know, our democracy was set up uh, to find consensus and to work together and to listen and to do the will of the people. Um, That cannot look like one person in one office uh, dictating, um, you know, something based on their own personal beliefs uh, when, you know, there's a, a whole government machine, um, you know, working to do good work for Missourians. Um, it's disappointing to see what what's happening. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I am afraid that it's going to continue and we're going to keep seeing it. But, uh, you know, hopefully over the next several years, we're able to, um, you know, add a little bit more balance to our legislature. Uh, and uh, maybe we'll see a little bit less extremism across the board. So let's shift gears to uh, actual races involving candidates. Recently, Minority Leader Crystal Quaid entered the race to succeed Governor Mike Parson, who cannot run again due to term limits. Here's a clip of her talking about why she decided to jump into this statewide contest. I decided to run for governor, quite frankly, because Missouri's government has just become too extreme. You know, my the last few years that I have spent, I've been in Jefferson City for seven years now, and each year it's become more divisive and less attention spent on Missourians and more attention spent on politics. And I decided to jump in just because, frankly, folks have had enough of that. Um, to answer your second question of what folks can expect out of a Quaid governorship is investment in Missouri, investing in things that um, our government needs to be providing for people. 
um, infrastructure investment in our departments, um, everything from children's division to making sure that that our um, licensed bureaus are actually functioning so that folks don't have to waste their time every single day when they need services from our state. So two part question. What was your reaction to Quaid getting into the race and how does she navigate this contest if she is able to get the Democratic nomination for this post? Yeah, well, my response was so thrilled. Um, You may be able to hear it in my voice. I'm smiling ear to ear. I am so excited that Crystal jumped into this race. Um, Democrats have no better voice um, right now for for this position um, than than Crystal. She's been a a Democratic leader for the last uh, five years in our in our caucus. um, And she has uh, made the Democratic voice um, in the legislature more and more relevant for with every year she's been there. Um, and so it's really exciting. Um, you know, I think that in terms of how she's going to navigate this, um, uh, first of all, I'm convinced she will be our, our democratic nominee. So, um, the way that Crystal is going to do this is she's going to speak to Missourians. She's going to talk to them about the issues that they're actually facing. Uh, the kitchen table issues that we always talk about during campaigns um, look nothing like the fights we've been having in the legislature. You know, I hear so often folks saying, why do you keep screaming about, you know, trans rights and all of, you know, all of these wedge issues? Uh, and we say over and over again, you know, the majority party sets the agenda. We're just playing defense. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're on we're on their terms. But uh, Crystal can change that narrative. Crystal can start talking about democratic priorities um, for Missourians and what that would look like from an executive uh, branch standpoint. Um, the governor has such unique powers um, and listening to Crystal talk about uh, what her plans are and what she hopes for Missouri, um, it's so inspiring. Um, it's so exciting. She has a social work background. She's a mom. Uh, she knows what Missourians want. She knows what Missouri families need. Um, and she's going to have the right message, the right moderate message um, for for Missourians, not just in the Democratic strongholds across our state, um, but all over. Wow. This is like the ninth time you've segued <laughs> r- nicely to my next question. So anybody who's listened to me talk about Democratic statewide aspirations on this show may feel like I'm being a broken record on this, but I feel like I need to reiterate this. Um, Democrats are not going to win statewide elections if they continue to get 20 percent in rural counties and they fail to win competitive suburbs like Platt County, Clay County. And I, I know Buchanan is not a suburb, but they used to win Buchanan County regularly and they're mm-hmm. not doing that anymore. So that's what they need to do. But the question has been, how do they do that? And as somebody who lives in a competitive suburb, I feel like you are uniquely qualified to answer that question. Yeah. Well, you know, Crystal's been doing it since she ran for office the first time, right? She knows how to, she flipped her seat um, from red to blue and she has flipped uh, since then she helped flip um, a second and a third seat in Springfield um, so that we finally have three seats outside of this I-70 corridor of, of Democrats um, that we previously had. Uh, and and so she she knows what she knows the messaging she knows like I said she knows what families want she knows what families need and she understands the nuances of all of these big issues that that we talk about so she can speak to folks individually um, she can talk about. 
these gun issues um, in a way that isn't extreme on one side or another. Um, she can talk about the need for childcare because she's experienced it. She, you know, she can talk about um, the desperate need for mental health resources because as a social worker, um, you know, she has seen families in crisis. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I said it again, but she's she is um, just such a special voice and, and a voice at the right time for Missouri. I'm really excited to see her her campaign unfold. I was at her kickoff on um, uh, Tuesday evening in, in Springfield. I was so excited to be there. And um, just listening to her talk is incredibly inspiring. On a prior episode of the show, one of your colleagues, Representative Steve Butts, said very bluntly that if Lieutenant Governor Kehoe wins the primary, it will be very difficult to defeat him because of his history of policy pragmatism. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. Uh, unfortunately, um, for uh, my uh, my colleague and friend, uh, Lieutenant Governor Kehoe, I don't believe that he's going to get the nomination. Um, I think that historically we've seen that in Missouri, um, Republican primaries uh, try to move to the right of each other. And frankly, um, Lieutenant Governor Kehoe just cannot out conservative uh, Eigel and Ashcroft. That is what uh, Leader Quaid also assumes, too, which is why she mentioned Ashcroft specifically in her Mm -hmm. uh, very well done kickoff video, which included her uh, literally I don't think she punched people, but she like checking people, checking checking people with roller derby. But it yeah. seems it seems to be like she assumes that Ashcroft will be the weaker candidate. And I think because what she said is he she he holds more conservative positions and in her view is more extreme. I guess conversely, he's won two statewide elections, albeit for a down ballot office with with like 60 percent of the vote. He has 100 percent name recognition because of his of his father, basically. Is he really the weaker candidate in this race, or do you think he could still be formidable because of the things I just said? I think he is a weaker candidate because of his extremism. Um, And I say that as someone who represents a community that is, um, I feel, really looks like a lot of these winnable sort of swing um, areas in our state. And what I can tell you is that folks in my district absolutely reject the idea of extremism on either side of the aisle. They are tired of, of the uh, the infighting. They're tired of the gridlock in Jefferson City. They're tired of a supermajority that can't get bills passed. Um, and and they're, they're frustrated by it. Um, and, and that's why I think Crystal has such a fantastic opportunity um, because her message is, is simple, it's moderate, and it resonates with Missourians uh, from all walks of life. Another race that is more internal is who is going to secede, um, basically our own version of succession, who's going to replace uh, Crystal Quaid uh, when she is term limited. Either way, she won't be in the House anymore. Um, And I've heard that you might be interested in that position. Yes, that's true. I announced a few weeks ago that I am running for minority floor leader um, to lead the Democratic caucus once Crystal is termed out. Um, She has been our floor leader for the past five years. It will be six total once she um is done serving in the legislature and uh she's done so much for the caucus and put us in such an incredible position that um you know i feel like i have had a great opportunity to learn from her um i've seen what the caucus needs what our members need uh how i can best support them and i really feel that i'm um the right person to 
sort of take us into our next phase as Democrats in Missouri. Yeah. What is your vision for that position and, and for House Democrats in the future? Yeah. So I really, you know, like I said, Crystal's put us in such a great position. Uh, she has built our, our party up. We have gained seats over the last several years. Uh, and I would like to continue doing that. I absolutely believe that in 2024, we will gain at least three seats and finally end the Republican supermajority. I'm very excited about that. Um, and then beyond that, we're going to keep growing and we're going to continue being more and more relevant in Jefferson City. Uh, the way we do that is by continuing to build connections across the aisle um, with stakeholders, not only in our own communities, but across the state, um, building relationships with um, with folks that may have uh, felt that Democrats weren't really paying attention to them for a long time. Uh, one of the one of the areas that we're really digging in on right now is ag. Um, you know, it's such a huge, um, such a huge economic driver for our state. And a lot of times Democrats feel left out of that conversation. And some of some of the reason for that is it's our own fault for not, you know, uh, getting a seat at the table. Um, and so that's one of the ways that, you know, we're working to um, build bridges, build connections um, and, and make sure we're representing all voices, all interests and, and speaking to Missourians, not just in our districts, not just in in the safe areas. Um, but like I said earlier, across the state, because, you know, if we're going to be more relevant in Missouri, we've got to expand our footprint. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Representative Ani, for joining us on the show. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow all of our coverage at stlpr.org. And Representative Ani, where can people find you on the Internet where you want to be found? You can find me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and now Threads. It's usually Ashley for Mo or Ashley for Missouri. I, I'm really liking Threads so far. I just want to point that out there. And I think that as soon as they get a, a place where you can only see your own followers, it's Jover <laughs> for Twitter. <laughs> I, I hope one. so. I have an account too, but I'm waiting for like a good opportunity to actually do like my first post. I don't know why I'm like being really paranoid about it, but... I'll still tag you whenever you have a story, Sarah. Perfect. All right. Until next time. So long. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East, we put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts.